You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and projects. We're back here because we had a break here. I had a high school reunion, and then we were moving to a new apartment complex here. So, you know, we didn't have the computer set up and such, but we're back and running. And today, we've got something unusual. We're not doing things via Skype like I normally do. My guest is right here with... Me live. Uh, we're going to be talking about research methodologies today. How do you do good research? Especially if you've got your typical 9-to-5 job. You might not have all the time in the world. And you still have to devote time to your family. But you want to research claims on Christianity. Or perhaps your uh, cousin shared this, this thing on Facebook about a political figure and such. And you want to know what's true or not. Did they really say that? Did they really do that? How can you check these claims? Where, in order to know how to check these claims, I decided to bring on my ministry partner, J.P. Holding, who's here in the area with us. And he's sitting right next to me right now. He has a uh, master's degree in library science, has been running Tectona Projects Ministry degree since 1998. He's also written for Christian Research Journal. And he's my ministry partner here. And we're going to be talking about research methodologies. So, JP, welcome back to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Well, hey, how you doing, Nick? Doing good here. Now, if my audience doesn't know you, tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Oh, golly. I've been uh, into apologetics since the mid-1990s, as you said. Mm-hmm. I was doing, doing a tecton as a ministry, whether uh, as a hobby or as an official uh, organization since 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh been doing ebooks, been doing speaking, uh, just been doing a little of everything, specializing in what I call nuts and bolts topics, hard, hard core history. Mm-hmm. As far as uh, how I got into this, which my background is, as you said, as a librarian, which is uh, doing hardcore research, uh, I've been using databases that work like Google long before anyone knew what Google was. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to school not far from here and uh, to Florida State University and took the class in online researching and how to do online research. And uh, that started me out learning how to do that in a proper method. Uh, I specialized in reference and information science and looking up things for people. Uh, worked for a while for, in, for libraries, but you know, eventually decided to go into ministry, and that's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Now, when we are talking about doing things online such the internet it's kind of a a blessing and a curse isn't it it is and but it is can be both yes it can because for those of us who know how to do research there's a lot of good material out there we can get and we can get off in the comfort of our homes but for people who don't know how to do research 
There's a lot of bad information they can get, and sadly, they spread it like it's gospel, right? There, that is indeed the case, and I'll use an illustration that I, we were just talking about earlier, mm-hmm. about how far this can reach. Um, I have a friend in New Zealand uh, who's been reading the Tecton website since the 1990s, and he has a brother who is a uh, pastor in an, on an island called Rarotonga in the uh, South Pacific. Very tiny island as part of the Cook chain where some of the uh, members of the Bounty crew uh, settled. And his brother wrote to him one day and said, Hey, I've got some atheists posting some stuff in the local newspaper here on Rarotonga. This is a tiny island, 15,000 people, but they've got the internet. And these atheists are getting stuff off the internet and posting it in the local newspaper there. Uh, fortunately, my friend in New Zealand referred him to my website, and he was able to find answers to these atheists. But there we have a perfect illustration of how the Internet has spread its influence everywhere, so that not only information but also misinformation can be so easily spread to the far corners of the Earth. And it's not just atheists who sadly spread misinformation. You dealt with the Fuel Project, for instance, and you've got books on... Christmas and Easter not being pagan. Christians can do this just as much, can't they? Christians are just as competent at spreading misinformation as anyone else is. Uh, we've got Christians who are into that 9-11 conspiracy theory stuff. Mm-hmm. We've got Christians like that fellow you mentioned, the Fuel Project, who are into these this idea that history is full of conspiracies, that the Masons are in on it, that the Jewish state is in on it, that uh, the National Pool Players Association is in on it, and just about everyone's in on a conspiracy. Don't forget the Illuminati. Yeah, the Illuminati. Yeah, there, there's a few of those around, too. And also Race Car Drivers International. Yeah. Just every, yeah. everybody's in on it. Yeah. Now, the problem is that it can seem overwhelming when people go and they want to go to information <coughs> and say, Okay, I want to study, for instance, the historical Jesus. And let's suppose someone says, I'm going to go to the library and find a book. Okay, there's probably if hundreds of books at your local library. If you went further to a good seminary university, there'd be thousands of books. How do you begin? Well, in order to, if the first thing is that you start by looking for sources that are qualified to speak to their subject matter. Mm-hmm. And this is becoming a bit of a problem area in itself because uh, as has been documented in the book The Death of Expertise, people are losing their respect for expertise. Mm-hmm. But initially, uh, you look for people who are qualified in their fields, who have done research in their fields, who have been educated in their fields, who have doctorates in their field. Uh, I think I once made a video related to this uh, using your dad, Mike, Mm -hmm. as an example. Father-in-law, Yeah, your father-in-law. Okay, Mm -hmm. you call him dad, though. (laughs) i got to do my research on that. Mm -hmm. But what's happened is you have people who will, um, you know, Mike has done a lot of great work on the resurrection. And he's got a Ph.D. in, you know, in, what is it, New Testament history he has it in exactly? Um, I'm not sure entirely. But okay. Well, he has a doctorate. He has a doctorate yeah. for sure. You know, and he did years of research for his book on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's presenting this online. And then you have someone coming along uh, who has a high school diploma, has been unemployed for years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sits at home all day you know, criticizing people like Mike Lacona. And saying how bad his book is. Mm-hmm. Now, who is really qualified yeah. in that case to really speak to the topic of the resurrection? Yeah. Now, of course, that doesn't mean they're infallible. I mean, we could say the same thing, like, say, Bart Ehrman has a Ph.D. in this area. And here you have a Christian 
out there who doesn't read anything academic, just says, you know, the Bible tells me so, and that's it, who's more qualified to speak? And sadly, in my case, it would be Bart Ehrman. It would be Bart Ehrman, and for that reason, if you're going to oppose Bart Ehrman, you should come up with someone who at least has the same or similar qualifications. I mean, you can certainly use them as resources. If that same Christian you're talking about uses Dr. Daniel Wallace as a source, then that levels the playing field somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, most of my listeners I would probably have a 9-to-5 job and such. They're not going to go out there and get a Ph.D. in order to be able to do these debates, and they don't need to, do they? No. I mean, well, you can get a Ph.D. from some of these diploma mills these mm-hmm. days, but it usually stands for piled higher and deeper if it mm-hmm. stands for anything. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, if you're, if you're not going to be able to have time to do that, you also need to judge for yourself, and this may require some humility on the part of some people. You need to judge for yourself whether you're capable and competent to take on someone like a Bart Ehrman or to take on his arguments. Yeah. And whether you can do a sufficient job even using other PhDs and their works to counter what he says. Uh, it's too easy to get in over your head. but And so many people have too much confidence in their abilities, as, as we well know, the Dunning syndrome. Yeah. Dunning-Kruger. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dunning-Kruger. Yeah. Could you explain what that is for my audience? Sure. Well, Dunning-Kruger generally uh, means that you're, you're incompetent and unaware of it. And it's been shown by this, uh, I believe he was a psychologist named uh, Dunning and his assistant Kruger, mm-hmm. who show that people who are incompetent at what they do tend to have a higher estimation of their own abilities than they really have. Mm-hmm. And they tested this in a variety of ways, especially, well, just to use an everyday example that we've all run into, driving. Mm-hmm. You, know, you ask the average person out there, are you a good driver? And 99% of them are going to say yes. But you get out on the on the road, and it's pretty clear that the, it's more like one percent are good drivers. Watch the person in front of you and the person behind you, because I know they're not as smart as you are. That's right. <coughs> That's right. I mean, especially I've been driving here in Atlanta area for just a mm-hmm. little bit. Man, you people here drive too close. You need to stop that. Yeah. But people when, people in Florida have their own problems, though. Whenever we are waiting to pull out somewhere and someone lets us out, I always say, I must not be a native. <laughs> you know, okay, so we've got a first step. Make sure you're competent in their field. I mean, like we said, Mike Lacona is a great guy to talk to about or read about the New Testament. And Bart Ehrman's a good one to read about the New Testament. But if you want to read about, say, creation versus evolution, you don't go to them. No, no, you wouldn't go to them. I mean, I know, like, if you went up to Mike with a with a question about creation, he said, well, I don't really know that. I mean, he might give you an opinion. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's not going to pretend to be an authority on the subject. And that's that's another problem these days is people pretending to be authorities on issues that they know nothing about. Yeah. This, this could kind of relate to like, when, if people don't know, I recently had a debate a couple of months ago with Dan Barker on the existence of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Mike was the one who got the email first about it. And he said, I'm not interested. My son-in-law could be interested, and with due respect to my father-in-law, I'm probably a better person to speak to on that issue because I did study philosophy in seminary for some time, and I've read up on that topic. Exactly. Uh, I, I didn't know that, and I'm glad that you know, Mike deferred to you on that, and that's the kind of thing he would do, too. Yeah, uh, you, yeah and, and Barker is a classic example of a person who thinks he knows more than he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he thinks because he has a high IQ that makes him an expert in everything. <laughs> But he's so he's so out of it that he goes for the idea that Jesus didn't exist. Yeah. Now, when we got the idea of a good offer, I think one of the next things you want to look at is the publishing house mm. they come from. For instance, 
I remember being at the Bible College in Tennessee once when we lived there. And I was going to get a book by Gerd Ludemann. One New Testament. I saw one published by an academic publisher. One published by Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Which is not an academic publisher. I went with the academic publisher. Absolutely. I mean, Prometheus publishes stuff like X-rated videotape guides. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they certainly don't have any peer review going on. Some of the more credible publishers will have peer reviews going on. Now here, I should note, you and I are speaking as people who have self-published yeah. our own books. Yeah. But we're not holding ourselves out as absolute experts either. Right. We use people who are experts as our sources. <coughs> I think the classic example of this uh, is the you know, the now deceased author Akira S, uh-huh. uh, who many remember as someone who advocated the idea that Jesus was copied from pagan myths, that his life story came from uh-huh. gods like Mithra and Dionysus and what have you. Yeah. And her chief publisher initially was a place called Steam Shovel Press, uh-huh. and this was a publisher that made stuff like books on time travel, and they weren't joking. Mm. Uh, And it's not science fiction either. No, they didn't pose it as science fiction. Let's put it that way. Ah. (laughs) Uh, And eventually she went on to publish her own books. Uh, But yeah, there's a certain certain degree of uh, credibility that certain publishers will have, and you you should look at that as one of the factors in considering whether an author is worth listening to. And there are atheistic publishing houses that are reputable and do publish good academic material. Yeah, and there are some good, reputable atheist authors out there, mm-hmm. but they tend to keep their mouth shut about things they don't know anything about. Yeah. Now, we've talked about a lot of it, but you brought up websites there as well. And there are all kinds of websites you can go to. I have a blog. You do some blogging. Just a little. Such. But a blog could just as well be written by a high school student just copying down what you heard in class this morning. How can you best access a blog you find online? Uh, I think it's best just to not access anything like that at all, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm being just a little facetious. Yeah. Um, this goes, let me go back to this whole thing of when I started doing online searching as a practice before Google mm-hmm. even existed. Now, when the Internet started, it was a very limited sphere. There were very few websites. Mm-hmm. And the average person that you're talking about, the average high school student, didn't have access to it and wasn't going to be making any web pages. At that time, you could use the Internet as a more reliable source, mm-hmm. uh, but you wouldn't find a whole lot. Mm-hmm. When it became a more democrat, shall we say, democratic institution and anyone could set up a website, that's when you started to have a problem. Mm-hmm. And before I get too far off on that, let me mention that Google itself is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Because uh, many people assume that when you put a search uh, into Google, that it rates by something like how reliable the page is. That's the truth. People mm-hmm. have actually said, I think the first thing that comes up is the most reliable, which mm-hmm. is not the case. It could be, but it's not necessarily. <clears throat> That's right. That's not why it comes up first. Mm-hmm. It comes up first because it's the most popular entry mm-hmm. or because it's been updated the most recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you have, you have that, you may have a website by a PhD, but there it's going to show up below the results in the website by the high school student who doesn't mm-hmm. know anything. Yeah. Uh, and you know, people are not going to have the discernment anymore, unfortunately, to know which is better because they're not going to see who wrote the, the website. They're just going to read it and, th- and just assume that it's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that extent now, the more people come online and put their things online, the worse the situation becomes because it becomes so crowded when you input a subject into a search engine 
and people are seldom, if ever, going to go past the first page results. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, the guy with the 9-to-5 job, he doesn't yeah. have time to go mm-hmm. through all this junk. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent, you can look at the website addresses and try and figure out if something is more reliable. Yeah. Uh, something with a .edu address on the end, that's an academic institution. Yeah. You're going to find more likely to be reliable than something like uh, Doug's blog dot blogspot.com mm-hmm. you know uh, of course that blog could also be by a scholar yeah i mean let, let's use our works for mm-hmm. instance you got the tecton ticker dot blogspot.com i've got deeperbartersapologetics.com let's suppose i mean you and i want people to look at us and take our work seriously and such if they didn't know us what steps could they take if they came to our sites and looked and said i want to check this material out what you'll want to do, and of course it depends on the subject matter mm-hmm. you're dealing with. Uh, if you're dealing with, if you and I are dealing with an academic subject, mm-hmm. we will want to put our source material listed mm-hmm. in that article in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And what you do to check people's credibility is to see what kind of sources they are using. And so in the end, if they're using Dr. Ben Witherington or Dr. Mike Lacona or what have you as their source. Or even Dr. Bart Ehrman. Even Dr. Bart Ehrman, yes. Even in that case, you're going to tell, even if they don't end up agreeing with them, you can tell they're at least looking at the best arguments against their position. And so you want to see who it is they're appealing to as authorities. And and that will help you gauge how what kind of whether they're doing serious research or whether they're mucking about. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if they're using as their source uh, Farrell Till or uh, C. Dennis McKenzie or uh, Benny yeah, Hinn, Benny Hinn. Oh yeah, that would be yeah that would be good. Or, or even now I'm going to put it this I'll say this too. Even if they say Billy Graham. Now yeah. I'm not degrading Billy Graham here. He's a nice guy and all yeah. or was, but. Yeah, he's not an academic, and I, and Billy Graham actually would have said, "I'm not an expert. Don't listen yeah. to me on this stuff. Go he, talk to someone else." Yeah, he'd say, "Come to him if you want like pastoral advice or exactly. something like that." And you know, I think it's something important that we've kept mentioning people like Bart Ehrman and others and such here, because if there's something I notice a lot from atheists I interact with online, they very rarely read the other side mm-hmm. at all, and we Christians do need to be different. Yeah, um, I find that very few actually read the scholarly sources. I mean, they will read some of the popular apologetics works like Lee Strobel, Mm -hmm. like Jay Warner Wallace. And I think you and I know that people like Wallace and Strobel will be the first to tell you that they are not presenting the last word. Of course. They they will say, if you want to know more, I'm just presenting a popular view here. Um, You know, it's a summary view. You will want to look further if you have some more serious questions. Mm -hmm. But I, I have seldom, although... Uh, you were looking at that Evidence Considered series for a long time. Yeah. That guy actually did appeal to some scholars like that, and mm-hmm. so did Akira S. Yeah. But when you you also have to, in that case, you have to check and see how do they use those sources. Mm-hmm. And what you will find, for example, what Akira S. would do, she'd quote Ben Witherington on some irrelevant point mm-hmm. that didn't have anything to do with her arguments, pro or con. And so that that's a sort of a trick that's sometimes used. It's, mm-hmm. It used to be called padding when we were in high school, or mm-hmm. at least when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. And you would put these sources in here, and you'd just like barely use them. But just mm-hmm. clear you didn't read them to any extent. Mm-hmm. Many of them will contradict your wider point, but you, know, you don't reveal that, and you don't even deal with the contrary yeah. arguments. I, <clears throat> I've dealt with, I've seen that recently uh, with a character who, just quotes me on one point, and and he's like writing a stuff about things that 
I know I've written a great deal about, but he doesn't touch any of that. Say he just quotes me on some yep. minor point and ignores the rest. Yeah, I, I would like to say, since you mentioned Jay Warner Wallace, that he and Sean McDowell will both be on the show later on this month talking about their latest book, so the next generation will know. You know. And I've even seen someone like, say, Richard Carrier, and for those who don't know, when I say Richard Carrier, I mean the unemployed party amorous internet blogger who's banned from Skepticon, Richard Carrier. But, um, I thought it was the other one. <laughs> but I've seen him horribly misuse sources like, say, Craig Blomberg and such, for yeah. instance. Well, I, I I don't bother looking into his stuff anymore, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's and that that tells you something as well, though, based on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. If yeah, you know, even someone who has a PhD can be prone to this kind of thing. Um, ideology can sometimes trump scholarship, even even on our side. We know that too. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I don't. Want to, I'm trying to think of a good example. Mike Lacona, a few years ago, someone sent a question with some Matthew Ferguson had said about him, looking at a claim he made. And I sent to Mike and said, look, you did this research here. What do you think? And he went back and said, he wrote an article called Humble Pie and said, I was I was working on other research at the time. I didn't do my due diligence. Ferguson's correct here. And he admitted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it, you can, you, it always increases the knowledge, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you can look further into things. And you know, I don't know whether Mike just missed something at the time or whether mm-hmm. he, it was like further research that had been found on an mm-hmm. issue. But you have to be willing to do that. And it's hard to keep up. Yeah. We know that. I mean, it's, it's impossible to keep up entirely. It is, mm-hmm. especially with more and more academic journals and mm-hmm. publications coming out. And then it's also hard to keep up with all the contrary claims with the proliferation of websites as well. Yeah. I'd like to mind when you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, right here we got J.P. Holding talking about research methodologies. It's going to be an hour-long show today. If you're here next week, I'm still working on I think I've got a good guest lined up here. and But we'll see what happens. But I am working. I've got guests booked for the rest of the month, I think. And we're going to be looking at July booking. And I think that kind of brings us to something we can say about this. That when people are looking for a good podcast, that they want to know if the scholars will back what's being said on a podcast such if I listen to this one, they don't have to wonder that because the scholars are right here talking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that you do well. That's I appreciate about what you're doing is you have these people on here. Mm-hmm. Now that does warrant a, a caution about the difference between something like a podcast and something like a book or a, or a, a journal article, and yeah. this is not anything you can do anything about. Yeah, you know, you don't come to a podcast for a super in depth presentation on a on a broad subject. Yeah. Uh, you come, like if when you interviewed Mike on his book on the resurrection, no one would say that that podcast by itself was the last word on the resurrection. Or that even it summed up his entire book on my resurrection. Oh, even in, yeah, with that that brick up there? Yeah, yeah. I can see it on your shelf up there. It's about to break the shelf. Hey, I've got Craig Keenor's <coughs> axe commentaries here, too. Okay. You've got that, too. You'll need them to balance all the weight on there. But just, you know, there's a good example of, of that kind of thing. Um, there, There's an atheist on YouTube uh, who found this recording I did many years ago where I was talking about the cosmological proof. And, you know, that's not my specialty. Yeah. But where that came from is from, I was uh, I was doing a teaching to like 14-year-olds. I remember at, that. Yeah, at the behest of... I emailed yeah, you about it, even. That's right. At the behest of a youth minister who said, you can ask him anything you want. And I just was willing to do that just because, you know, it was a program they were doing. Mm. 
and I knew I wasn't going to be presenting anything that thorough on the cosmological proofs. Yeah. But this atheist, like, so James Patrick Holding is wrong about the universe, and he makes this whole thing about how my presentation is wrong. Like, hey, you know, cheap shot. You know, yeah. this is to fourteen-year-olds. Is that yeah. why don't you take on? Um, you know, Hugh Ross. Yeah, take on Hugh Ross. Or let's William Lane Craig. Yeah, let's see you do that instead. But no, nah, yeah, forget that. Now, let's say something about doing web searches as well. You gave a presentation once. You talked about this guy, I think his name was Skippy, mm-hmm. doing a search. And he pointed James Patrick Holding and he said, I got like 80,000 hits here on yeah, this. Yeah, saying James Patrick Holding is like a reliable, unreliable doofus or something. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. But <clears throat> now, it's kind of hard to explain this without drawing what it looks like. I'll have to explain a bit about what's called Boolean searching. And this is how these databases used to work when I was uh, first looking at them before Google was invented. Um, a database search engine works on the principle of Boolean logic. Uh, so let's say you want to look up James Patrick Holding. Let's imagine three circles, one for James, one for Patrick, and one for Holding. Okay, kind of like a Venn diagram. A Venn diagram. Very good. That's exactly what it is. Now, if you put in... James Patrick Holding in a search engine without quotes around it. Chances are stuff that are about me will come near the top, but you also find everything coming up with James in it, everything with Patrick in it, everything with Holding in it. One example you gave was, here's a picture of James in a St. Patrick's Day parade holding an iguana. That's right. That will come up because something like Google will think you're looking for every single word in any order whatsoever. Yeah. Now, to explain to Google what you want, because remember, Google is just a dumb machine. It's not, mm-hmm. despite Alexa, it's not a, an intelligent being. Mm-hmm. You have to do something like put quote marks around James Patrick Holding, and that informs Google that you want all three words linked together right. in that order. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and in the Venn diagram, you can imagine that being the three circles of James Patrick and Holding overlapping in that little triangle that would result. Yeah. That's how you narrow down your search results. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple thing. Just use quote marks, and that yeah. will narrow down your search. But a lot of people don't think to do that. That's something that comes up when it becomes a Facebook thing. I know you're not on Facebook, but I am. And it's very easy to see these memes people share where it's got a quotation from someone. And what I'll usually do is I'll take a little snippet of that quotation put it in a web search and put quotation marks around it and then look and say, where did it come from? Yeah, that's exactly what you need to do to specifically target what you're looking for. And it's really sad to me how many times such false information can be spread out there so quickly that you can attribute something to someone that they never said or did. For instance, politically... I'm so conservative, I only fly on planes that have two right wings. <laughs> and I used to work somewhere, and my dad, who's also conservative, would send out what I call an email blast yes. to a bunch of people. If Here's the latest thing Obama did or said. And I'd go, I'd do about five minutes worth of research or so. Then I'd hit reply all and say, Everyone, please, this acknowledge what my dad just said. Here's what the truth of it really is. And, you know, I didn't really like doing that because, sadly, I know it made him look bad and such. But at the same time, when false information is being spread, even if it's against my opponent, I want to go against it. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, on the political terms, uh, I fly I fly in planes that have one wing on each side. Sorry, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, I've I've done some politicking online too, yeah. and there there the memes especially are rife with misinformation. Mm-hmm. I remember one in particular I found uh, alleging to show a fence that was between Guad what was it one of the Central American countries and Mexico, mm-hmm. and it was trying to make the point that Mexico puts up these walls yet we don't if they object when we put up a wall. But when you looked up the, the picture, and mm-hmm. Google has image search too, which is a very handy tool, mm-hmm. you found that the picture was of a fence between Mexico and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many people wouldn't clue into this even looking at the picture. It showed a desert, and that's not what the climate is like down on Mexico's right. southern border. But you can put in even a picture and determine whether mm-hmm. it's genuine or not. Yeah. And this is... A great problem, I think, especially if we're Christians who share this kind of information. Because if I'm, let's suppose, hypothetically, I'm a Christian and you're not, and I share something like this and it's bogus, and you can find out in five minutes it's bogus, why should you take me on seriously on the resurrection that you can't find out about in five minutes? Yeah, why didn't you even try to check your check your work? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Again, you talk about the guy who's working nine to five doesn't have time to check to see yeah. whether that meme is actually reflecting anything accurate. But if, you know, if, I feel that if you're going to present it to a large number of people, you should take some time to make sure it's accurate. And there are even famous figures out there who have been guilty of sharing misinformation like this, and people who really should know better. Yeah, well, like Hollywood celebrities, maybe, or yeah, or even politicians who have shared. Misinformation. There are things like, say, stories found on the Onion, even, yeah. or, the, or nowadays we could say the Babylon Bee. There have been times people have sent a story to Snopes from the Babylon Bee to fact check it. <laughs> I've heard of that. You know, it's if you you only have to read one or two articles on those sites <laughs> to tell that they're consi- they're supposed to be satire. Mm. Uh, I think we seem to have lost our sense of humor, or maybe we've become so gullible we don't even pay attention to that anymore. Let's let's remember, though, like uh, Abraham Lincoln said, the problem with quotes on the Internet is they're too easy to make up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so that segues into one of my favorite series. I know, I think we've talked about it before, but I'll talk about it briefly. The Bogus Quote Break. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that series so much. I I did a series of videos on that on my YouTube channel, about 30-something of them. Let's talk about one of your favorite ones. Mm -hmm. Since you mentioned Akara S., how much this has profited us, this favor of Christ, said by Pope Leo X. Pope Leo X. Yeah, that is one of my favorites. I've looked into that one maybe more than any other. <laughs> Supposedly, uh, Pope Leo X said this, uh, but the only place where I found that he said it was in a fictional play written by some guy who was, like, uh, satirizing him. Yeah. And so I have no evidence, I can find no evidence that was actually said by the historical Pope Leo. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorites in terms of work, but I'll tell you one of my favorites in terms of uh, entertainment value. I think I can guess. Yeah, well, you can guess because you were the voice of one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a quote by St. Anthony, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly about how much he hated women. Mm. And. One group of people attributed it to a St. Anthony who lived much earlier, Mm -hmm. and there was a second St. Anthony who lived much later. Mm -hmm. And you would find that people would attribute it to each one of them. Mm -hmm. Some would attribute it to the earlier one, and some would attribute it to the later one. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, 
one side or both are not doing any serious checking. Right. I found out that I, that I couldn't find any reason to believe that either one of them mm-hmm. said that quote. It's odd because that's not the quote I was thinking of. The quote I was oh, thinking that, of is one that Christians sadly share so much. And that's Mahatma Gandhi's great line, I like their Christ, I don't like their Christians. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's that one was kind of fun, too. I forget what I found out. I know he didn't say it. I think it was, I think it was another person of a contemporary who said something similar to that. Mm-hmm. But Gandhi himself ended up not saying it. Yeah. Yeah, and... We have so many Christian authors, very smart, intelligent people, who share this quote constantly, and there's no sourcing for it. No, I've I've almost never found anyone who gave a source for it at any time. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to hear the Christian authors are spreading it around. And even if we went to, say, the Pope Leo X quote, even if in some hypothetical universe we found out that he really did say that... So what? Yeah, it doesn't really. It's just, it's just a what would you call it? Soundbite these days. Yeah. I mean, Gandhi wouldn't have called it that in his time, yeah. or in his time, the equivalent to a meme. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you, if if Gandhi were around today, maybe someone would put it on a picture of him in those yeah. white letters with the black with the black outline. Um, we we could say Pope Leo Tim was a was a corrupt pope. Didn't really care about Christianity, and he's not a source for him. Since it's not like he can say something fifteen hundred or so years later, and lo and behold, everything we have about Jesus is disproven immediately. No, well, that's the easy way out, and I think that relates back to what we said <laughs> earlier. Uh, one of the key problems with research methodology is that it's become something you know. La- people get too lazy; they don't have time. <laughs> they really, or they are looking for something that proves their point of view more than they're looking for something that truly answers the question that they have. Let's talk about a favorite one that I actually took part in here, and I think you really enjoyed it when I shared it. Okay. That uh, Matthew McCormick, his book, The Case Against Christianity, Ooh. he has this list of 500 gods that were all thought to be omnipotent, omniscient, and all this other stuff. And I did some looking, like, yeah, most of these aren't like little local deities and things like that. But one of the best ones is a god named Jar Edo Winds. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I added that into my one of my newer books too on mm-hmm. the Christ myth. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, of course, you know this the, the this, this goes back to a form of argument that um, because certain authors contemporary with Jesus didn't mention Jesus, mm-hmm. that that's supposed to be some kind of problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. You know, I've noticed there are a lot of atheists who are fond of making these lists like this, of saying, look at all these gods that yeah. are like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, like here came up with maybe 15 of them. Mm-hmm. And here McCormick comes up with this list of like, what, 400? How many? 500 was gods. 500 gods. So like, yeah, did you really check each and every one of those out? I went online and looked up all of them that I could. You're, you're, you're very obviously into tormenting yourself. <laughs> yes, I am. But Jarito Wins was a very special case, wasn't it? It was indeed. Let me. I'll let you go ahead and tell everyone about that again. The thing is, Jarito Wins was supposed to be this Australian deity. He was a hoax made up by a student, and he fooled people for over nine years, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's actually based on the name Jared Owens. Instead, that name was just pour apostrophes between it and such to make it look like a deity. Mm-hmm. Now, you've lit on another thing about research methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Wikipedia is really a classic example mm. of the kind of thing you should not rely on. Yep. Uh, you, you, it's okay as a starting point. You know, you can look at it for some sources, <coughs> but you don't know who wrote that book, wrote that entry. You have no idea what their qualifications are. Yeah, sure, they're supposed to have control. I don't. They don't have controls compared to academic publishers. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> but be, because it's quick and convenient, people use it. And that tends to drive Wikipedia entries to the top of the search engines for mm-hmm. any topic yep. you look up. <laughs> now, on some topics, Wikipedia would be just fine. If you're wanting to look up, say, some about Avengers Endgame <laughs> or something, Wikipedia is probably fine. If I like to look up pop culture, say, Final Fantasy, it's just fine to go to a Final Fantasy wiki mm. and such. But if you're talking about something controversial in any sense of a word and seriously academic, Wikipedia is not the place to go to. No, it, it isn't, and it, it's a very ill-conceived project. I understand the guy who founded it, you know, thought it was a wonderful idea mm-hmm. because he assumed he's like, oh, the collective wisdom of all these people will be in one place. Yeah. Well, I hate to tell you, but the collective stupidity of those people yeah. is going to be in one place too. Mm-hmm. So, given a choice, what do you go with? Do you go with a Wikipedia page written by a fourteen-year-old named Jason, for all you know? Or do you go with an academic book that was written by Dr. Mike Lacona? Yeah. I have a rule when I do a debate on a place like Facebook and such. I have someone, I don't care who it is, if they reference a Wikipedia page, I say, sorry, I'm not reading. You need to give me something better. Well, you can go there and you can get for references and such. Fine. Give me those references Bring them instead. here. Yeah. Bring them here. I don't read Wikipedia because it's too unreal. I mean, yes, the article you're reading... It could have been edited by a PhD in the field, or it could be edited by some guy who just got home from high school and was pointing things up. Perhaps we should mention, for instance, as an example of this, Shane Fitzgerald. Shane, oh, the, yeah, the fake quote? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he uh, he had picked out, I can't remember all the details, but there was a musician who had just passed away, and he posted a quotation of that musician right after this musician died and put it on his page. Now, Wikipedia removed it pretty quickly, but he put it right back and then stayed there even longer. But it was too late. Uh, by that time, many people had gone to the Wikipedia article, including many journalists, and found the quote and attributed it to this mm-hmm. musician. Uh, let's, let's make a point about why people would use Wikipedia, too, aside from the fact that it's easy and convenient. Mm-hmm. It's also F-R-E-E. Yes. Whereas, you know, it takes up not only the expense of your time, but how much does it cost to buy some of these academic books anymore? Although, to remind people, there is such a thing as interlibrary loan, and it's F-R-E-E. Yeah, if you yeah, well, I'm sorry to say that the Orlando Public Library has given that up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't have much alternative in that uh, in that regard. But most of you out there will still have interlibrary loan. You will still have academic libraries near you. And while they may stare at you if you go in and use them, if you're not a student, yeah, you know, it's at least there for you to use. Yeah. And Shane Fitzgerald, when he did this, he was doing it to prove a point. Yes. And point proven, in fact, that so many of these hardcore researching journalists just believed it without any citation. Yeah, I mean, they were looking for something just to round off their articles. Mm. And, you know, hopefully when they're actually doing serious investigative journalism, and they were on deadlines, let's be fair, mm-hmm. they had to produce something quickly. Yeah. Uh, if they're doing serious investigative reporting, they may or may not be a deadline. Yeah. But that that's another thing that can add pressure and cause people to want to find something quickly and just simply mm-hmm. accept it offhand. Yeah. 
Now, I'd like to remind people at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Everything we do here is supported by listeners like you. And, yeah, we really need your support here. So, go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link on the side that says, Help Support the Work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click on that link and you get go to Risen Jesus. Now, are you going to the right place? Yes, as JP has said here before, that's my father-in-law, his ministry. And you make your donation there. You can get in touch with me or my wife, Allie, or Mike, or his wife, Debbie, and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We will give that donation, and it will be tax-deductible entirely. You can also buy some e-books I have either written for one, A Creed for the Ages, the Apostles Creed in Today's Christian, or co-written, um, God and Natural Disasters, is one, and most and for the rest of these, JP and I have done together, defining inerrancy and contextualizing inerrancy, mm-hmm. and Christian answers to this generation's questions, and groundless looking at the work of Dan Barker. I can't seem to think of any others that we've done together. No, I can't. I think that's pretty much covered that, it. That, that, that's all of them. And groundless, some of you might be particularly interested in after the Dan Barker debate, and I urge you to go and listen to that one and leave some comments behind. And Defying Inerrancy and Contextualizing Inerrancy, I think, are both books that are extremely important right now because there are still inerrancy wars going yeah. on of sorts. And jewelry, for instance. Um, and JP, your wife's here. Does she like jewelry? No, she does not. Okay, she's the rare exception yeah. here. But most women out there do like jewelry. And guys, we have a store set, Premier Christian Jewelers. My friend Lena Cluster handles it. You can buy some jewelry for that woman you love. And if you don't have a girlfriend or wife, buy something for your mother, even, such. And whatever you purchase, 25% of that will go to support Deeper Waters. And you guys, you know the wisdom I always give you on this. You can buy something special for that lady in your life to make up for that screw-up that you recently did with her. Or all five of them. <laughs> or you can buy something special for that lady in your life to make up for that screw-up that I know you're going to make with her. <laughs> and if you can't do any of these, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. I really love to see those. Now, JP, do you have an organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Um, not at this time, no. Okay. Now, let's also talk about another place that has a whole lot of misinformation on it. And this is a place you use as well, and I use too, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, that's where the democracy has run wild again. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that, that used to be something that wasn't, again, as accessible to everyone as it used to be mm-hmm. because not everyone could make films. And you, you and I know how hard it is to make films. Oh, yeah. Uh, it used to be much harder than it was now. <coughs> Most people would make films live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you'd, you'd have to get a camera out there. You'd have to get you know, your actors out there. And I know how hard this was because one of my first videos was, a lot, was one like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of work. It was only by... The Mithra Buster? Yeah, the Mithra Buster, that's right. Yes. And the one with Dionysus, too. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that had been my original plan, but it was so much work. And then I thought about, well, maybe I can use the drawings I do. And that actually ended up working better than I expected. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm 
you know, on the level of Dragon Ball Z or anything like that. You're not getting a job at Disney anytime no, soon. No, <laughs> I won't be getting a job at Disney anytime soon, especially you know, with my yeah, my hands are not as nimble as they used to be with a pen. Mm. But um, I can do basic animation close to like Speed Racer in the fifties, which mm. is which wasn't too bad for its time. Mm. And you know, a lot of videos now are very easy to make with a program like Sony Vegas, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a glorified PowerPoint presentation. Mm. And now anyone can make one of those, and all they need to do is invest like $40 for a filmmaking program. Yeah. Or some of these people we've seen will just sit in their bedroom, uh, you know, in a chair in their undies, and they will, you know, put a put a uh, webcam on themselves, yeah. and they'll start recording and, you know, they don't care if the dog's barking in the background or the cat is yowling or, you know, doing whatever. Yeah. You know, they'll just keep recording and they'll just spout their spout and mumble for the next 30 minutes for something they could have said in just five minutes. You and I dealt with someone who uh, was saying something about Mike Lacona and he was outside and you could hear the wind blowing constantly. Is that Matthew Singleton? I think so. I think it was. I mean, yeah, he just turns the camera on himself. No, you know, no sense of professionalism. Yeah, you know, I don't care. I'm just blowing this out here. Um, so the, the you know the technology that's particularly uh, dangerous in a way because mm-hmm. people will assume that if you have the ability to make a film like that that mm-hmm. that somehow gives you authority. Mm-hmm. Now you've dealt with a whole lot of YouTube atheists that sadly do have a lot of followers like <coughs> non-stamp collector or dark matter or crazy pills or Aaron Raw. For oh instance. yeah, yeah. They're certainly not immune to making horrendous errors. I mean, yeah. even our good atheist friend Tim, o, you know, Tim O'Neill yeah. has recently uh, pegged Aaron Ra for saying a lot of ridiculous oh, stuff yeah. about history. Tim O'Neill has been on here before, even. Oh, has he? Good. Yes. Yeah, oh, he's been on your show. Yeah, yes. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that people just look at these videos. You know, if you're going to YouTube and you just want to find something entertaining like a clip from a favorite TV show or someone commenting like my wife and I like to watch Saber Spark talking about cartoons or we watch the Leia Screw Attack Death Battle well that's just fine but when you're talking about serious academic work again the same principles apply don't they? They do. They do. I mean there's some academic people putting their stuff on there yeah. but let's face it who's going to sit and watch even, even Mike Lacona for 60 minutes talking? Yeah. Uh, you know, especially with today's attention span, that's not what they want. I'm sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said your pants are on fire. Oh, okay. okay. All right, never mind that. You'll be all right. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, the attention span today is so low that, mm. you know, you have to make videos that are going to be somewhat more interesting, that are mm. going to keep people's attention. You have to make them shorter than five minutes, because mm. otherwise they're going to be going off to the video on skateboarding dogs or mm. what have you. Um so, you know, unfortunately, that reflects a compromise on what I've been saying all along about research methodology. Mm-hmm. There are, it's become to the point that research methodology doesn't, doesn't become useful anymore because no one's going to sit there and listen to you present a detailed case. And right. that's something that was reflected in that book, Death of Expertise. Yeah. Uh, I think the example that I liked from there was how this... Some lady was online you know, asking for help for for her paper, for a school paper on sarin gas or the toxin sarin. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened the world's leading expert on that toxin was online and saw her plea for help. 
And so he started out by maybe a little roughly like correcting her on some claim she made. And she threw a fit. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to listen to him. She didn't want to look up his name to see that he really was the expert he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she, she just wanted a quick answer to help write her paper. Yeah, and uh, that's the kind of thing that you're going to run into now in places like YouTube, and you know, that's why uh, you're going to have a lot of problems. Even if you do the research right, the next problem is getting someone to listen to you. Yeah, when we were doing some unpacking here yesterday, we found the essential oils thing we have. Allie likes to use it to help sleep. And one of the things we were talking about using was frankincense to, because the scent, some people say, can help with depression. But we have a concern. You, you've been here. You've seen our cat. And some essential oils are supposedly toxic for cats. Now, I was seeing everything. I could do a web search. The thing is, there's so much information out there. And I really don't think I have a competence in the area of veterinary medicine to say what to do. So what do I do instead? I text a friend of ours who's a vet and say, hey, what do you think about this? If you have access to an expert, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Now, even now, even if you don't have a friend who's a vet, it is possible to do some legitimate research. Mm-hmm. In a situation like you have, I'll give you, we had a similar situation where our poodle had uh, possibly ingested some chocolate. And we didn't know for sure whether he had ingested it, and we didn't know, you know, we knew chocolate offhand that chocolate was toxic to dogs, but we didn't know how much of a problem it was. There are a number of veterinary sites out there, and it's hard to tell which ones are legitimate. But after a while, you know, I checked the information on multiple websites, and they all pretty much seemed to agree. Now, that would suggest to me that even if I'm not certain some of these are experts, and some of them were, some of them I could tell were experts, but once they start pretty much agreeing and saying the same thing, then, you know, you've you've been able to solve the problem. And thankfully, we found out he only ingested enough to just make him a little sick, which he ended up being just a little sick later on. Yeah, although I am thinking there is a great danger of that. If you look up your own symptoms, you'll go to WebMD for a common cold and walk away thinking you have cancer. Uh, yeah, you have to be careful. That's, again, where you have to show some discernment and not read too much into the information. Self-diagnosis yeah. is never a safe thing. Now, the way, way you can use that is when you go to your doctor, you can come in with a somewhat intelligent view, but don't, you know, mm-hmm. don't lead the way with the conversation see what they have to say first uh, I'll use I have a very I had a very good example of that recently uh-huh. I've had a recurring problem with pain in the top of my foot and I found several different things explaining why that could have happened and I went to the foot doctor and he gave me an explanation that was very close to what I thought was happening uh-huh. but it was slightly different so my self-diagnosis was not exactly right but I knew just enough, you know, to know what <laughs> might be going on. <clears throat> you know, something I think that should be brought up, and I, I get embarrassed so much to see atheists using this line in debates when I'm on Facebook and such. Now, if you point to the work of a scholar and such, and what they're saying is, you're committing the appeal to authority, and that's a fallacy. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, people, they are saying that on their own authority. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something I always point out to them. I say, where if you're saying that that's your authority, then you're being committing a fallacy right there. But if you're saying we should take it seriously still, then you're going against your very own claim. Your claim refutes itself. Yeah, that yeah, that is an attempt to really undercut authority, like Death of Expertise was talking about, yeah. and essentially undercut research methodology. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that was never what the argument from authority fallacy was intended to be. Mm-hmm. <coughs> that was intended to refer to someone using someone like Michael Jordan as an expert on, uh, yeah. you know, expert on environmentalism. Now, yeah. if he can say something on that. As he's, you know, he and any celebrity is perfectly free to say something, but they are not experts. And then you mm-hmm. get people like Jim Carrey who are against vaccination. Uh, like, yeah. Oh, so you, now I wonder if they would agree, but if, you know, don't listen to the authority there. Yeah. And I think it could also be a mistake that both sides would make that if I present, say, Michael Lacona and say, well, this is the final word on the resurrection, and he's in favor, he, even he would disagree with that one. Yeah, he would. I mean, I would call him one of the, um, if you want to put it this way, one of the points of light in the, in the sky mm-hmm. for the subject of the resurrection. Uh, you would certainly want to consult with his work. But, you know, Gary Habermas didn't just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, William Lane Craig didn't just disappear. And on the other side, however lousy he is at his job, Gerd Ludeman didn't just disappear either. Yeah. And I do think, getting back to that point a bit, it is very important that we as Christians read the other side. Something I've said for us, if you're going to argue for a position where you need to be able to argue for the other side... Just as well. And if you and I wanted right now, we could make a powerful argument against the resurrection if we wanted to. It, it would be very easy. You know, there was, you know, I, I, back when I was able to have access to more books, which I don't have anymore thanks to Orlando Public Library, mm-hmm. I, try, I went through, you know, I, have, I, had, I still have access to a database called the Online Catalog for the Library of Congress, where I went through looking for titles about the resurrection that were written from the other side. Yeah. And where possible, I would order those other books mm-hmm. and take a look at them. Now, after a while, they became repetitive. Mm-hmm. And when arguments from you know, either side start becoming repetitive, you can be pretty sure you've probably done as much research yeah. as you need to do for the time being. Uh, but you absolutely have to go to the other side. You can't just you know, get what you, what you agree with and what you already believe in from that side and think you've done the job. That's not going to work. I, I do realize we might have some differences on this one, but I do happen to value Kindle publishing tremendously because it does give away that you can get a book immediately. It's very easy to highlight, and some libraries now have it. You can borrow books on Kindle, and I like that you can set up sometimes if you want to and do automatic reading. I can have my Alexa, for instance, read a book to me while I'm taking a shower. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess, yeah. I don't know that I'd want to be distracted in the shower like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, there's something, cre- to me, there's something a little creepy about letting technology get in there with you, but uh, <laughs> I understand where that's coming from, though. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, I have a friend who listens to, he doesn't have time to read books, so he listens to them while he's driving in the car. Yeah. I mean, he's stuck in traffic an hour and a half in Orlando anyway, so mm-hmm. why not turn on something in the car? <clears throat> yeah, that's actually how I read the Harry Potter books when okay. they were coming out yeah. and such, because I wonder what all the fuss was about. And before I started speaking about them, I said, I'm going to read them and find out what they're all about. And this is, again, where we disagree, because I really like them, as you know. That's... Yeah, yeah. Well, that, you, you have to use every opportunity to, you know, in your schedule these days to get things done. And... But real research takes a lot of patience, uh, it takes a lot of study, and it takes quiet and concentration. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. But, you know, at the end, it really is worth it. Because when you and I go out there on the battlefield, as it were, we're able to handle these things because we know what we're talking about. Exactly. 
Exactly. And that's and you know, if you can give that confidence to the everyday Christian as well, you know, that makes it better for them in the end. It, an informed faith is always better than one that is not informed. Yes. Yeah, the quote from Socrates, I don't know if it's legitimate or not, but hypothetically one of the unexamined life is not worth living, where we could just as well say the unexamined faith is not worth believing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, JP, we have to start wrapping things up here now. Do you have a blog, a website, an email where people can get in touch with you and want to find out more? Yeah, well, tectonics.org is still going and is likely to continue for the foreseeable future. I still answer email at jphold at att.net. Um, other than that, I don't have any, any particular project going on right now. I'm trying to figure out about one that I might be working on soon. Um, yeah, just, just uh, yeah, working on things in the background right now. Yeah, and that's at T-E-K-T-O-N-I-C-S dot org. That's right. Don't go to the dot com address. That's by some people who build bridges. They don't want to answer your questions about Jesus. Did <laughs> <laughs> they... Did that other guy take down the, pe- the website he had responding? Because techtalks.com no. used to be... No, I, I, he... Um, yeah, an atheist Jimbo, we know Jimbo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he used to own that website, but I think what happened is the company told him, we want that and we will take it from you if you don't sell it to us. Mm. So he moved it to another address. I mean, where hardly anyone reads it. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so do you have any final words you'd like to leave for the audience today on this topic or anything else? Well, nothing in particular at this point, because uh, I'm still working on some things in the background, uh, and hopefully I'll be you know, bringing some more things to the fore pretty soon. Well, JP, I'd like to thank you for taking your time to come here on the Deeper Wars podcast. Very nice to do a lot to do a show with you right here in the studio, yeah, as it were. And I do hope we'll be able to do a recording with you sometime in the future. All right, we'll look forward to that. And I can mind everyone that next week, where well, I'm still working on that, but if I can get who I'm warning on, I think people will be very pleased. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I am signing off. <laughs>